and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then. Today, we are venturing back into the territories of leadership, but a place today where traditional norms are being challenged, new paths are being forged, and the power of equality is leading the way. In a recent episode, I spoke with Claudia Miller about the reasons behind the rising numbers of women leaving leadership roles, and I want to dig deeper, maybe broader into this topic to understand more and look at how we can push forward more, some more substantial change. Now picture this, a world where leadership knows no gender boundaries, where qualifications, skills, behaviour, attitude, and passion reign supreme. Gone are the days when the corridors of power echoed with the footsteps of a select few. Today, today, my friends, we embark on a journey that disrupts the status quo as we challenge and transform the very fabric of leadership. It's time to shake off the rusted shackles of outdated gender stereotypes, embracing the winds of change that breathe life into new possibilities. We are witnessing an era where individuals of all genders are rising to the occasion, proving that the true measure of a leader lies in their ability to inspire, innovate, connect, engage, and empower. But let's be frank. It hasn't been smooth sailing to get to this point, and there are many hurdles, biases, and deeply ingrained societal expectations that still hold us back from reaching our final destination. But that's why we're here today, to uncover the stories and share the thoughts and experience of those who are interested in shattering glass ceilings and redefining what it really means to be a leader. So in this episode, we'll further explore the challenges faced by women in leadership, the transformative power of diversity inclusion, and look at the strategies that can drive positive change in boardrooms and classrooms and communities for that matter. So strap in for what I hope will be a thought-provoking journey together. To help navigate these waters, and perhaps that is enough now with the Explorer theme, is Laura Howard an organisational psychologist and the founder of The Contented Workplace, who's just completed a detailed study into the backdrop of shifting gender standards in leadership as part of a master's degree. So I'm hoping Laura can help us take a look at what's really needed to make some lasting change and ignite a positive future where leadership really does know no boundaries. Welcome to the show, Laura. Oh, welcome. It's great to be here, Andy. It's lovely to have you here, Laura. I... I'm really interested in this topic. Um, it's it's one of those topics where you sit here as a middle-aged white guy 
And you have a little bit of nervousness, right, about what unconscious biases might come out or how silly I might look at some questions. But it's such an important topic to properly understand and start to do something more intentionally about, I think, which is why it's absolutely right for this podcast. Well, thank you for for the introduction. Um, There's really no need to be nervous um, for several reasons, but just by opening opening up this conversation and having some um, awareness of where your leadership lies and some of the qualities that you bring to to leadership um, within your own lived experience is a brilliant place to start. 100%, 100%. So I'm really excited to get into this. But before we start, just do us a little favour, Laura, just for for me and for, for the audience. Give us a little bit of information about your background, you know, what you've been up to, what you're focusing on now. Just just tell us your story. Brilliant. So um, I live in Derbyshire with my family and I've had a 20 year plus career across business organisations, helping global companies to grow and thrive. Mm -hmm. So that's taken me all around the world and um, led to me um, progressing to senior leader uh, level throughout my most recent employment. Um, And that really inspired my passion for engaging with people, engaging team and helping them to realise their hidden strengths and therefore being the best that they can at work and bringing their best to work. Um, And that really helped us as um, an organisation and as a department to um, deliver some great customer outcomes. So everybody was benefiting from an overall different leadership model of one that was empowering and growing the the team um, instead of a traditional, more hierarchical and uh, coercive model. So this inspired my passion for wanting to understand behaviour within organisations. And that led to me uh, in 2020 sort of reevaluating where I wanted to take the rest of my career as a, a 40 something year old leader. And um, I thought, why not? Why not go back to university and discover this great topic in in proper detail where I got to do my um, really important study that you've already spoken about. Yeah, and we're going to dig into that in a minute. So you now work, I guess, as an organisational psychologist. What on earth is an organisational psychologist? Just just explain what that, that's all about. Well, that that's a, a great question. And what I'll start by saying is it's not nearly anywhere as scary as um, people might imagine. So <laughs> I'm certainly not into, um, you know, analysing um anybody on their body language or or anything like that so that nervousness that you pointed to at the start please please let's drop that um <laughs> and and uh, everybody else that, that that's that's listening or that I might encounter um basically it just means that I'm interested in the practice and the study of behavior within workplaces Mm -hmm. so sometimes it's called organizational psychologist sometimes it's called occupational psychologist okay so I think it's broadened because for example we all don't work in organizations we might be self-employed for for example so so that's why it covers a wide breadth of 
disciplines in terms of employee behaviour. So it, it's interested in the study and the practice of how one can um, deepen one's motivation about work, how you can be increasingly engaged within your work, how you can feel healthy and perform well within your work. Um, so so it's a it's a fascinating subject um, that all sorts of um, areas that you'll have come across touch upon. So, for example, workplace well-being is, is often couched in, in the practice of organisational psychology as well. Equality, diversity and inclusion subjects and practice is also um, steeped in, in this area. Which is why you're bang on as a guest for this podcast, because we love all that kind of stuff. A couple of questions I'm going to ask you that are kind of linked together. Okay. I would love your opinion on this challenge that was mentioned within the introduction, the kind of challenging around not just female leadership, but I guess gender stereotyping within leadership, but also the purpose of having this conversation today, Laura, what what are you hoping to do or get out of this conversation today? So I know that, that your practice as um, an expert in this area as, as well in overall engagement. So I'm keen to have a two-way conversation with, with you, Andy, as to what okay, you're good. noticing as well. Be careful so, what you wish for, Laura. Be careful <laughs> what you wish for. Um, but, but as well, I want to highlight some of the challenges that I identified through the interviews that took place in, in my year-long study. And by highlighting those, I want to bring greater awareness to some of the individual, but also um, common problems that are occurring, barriers that are being faced but by women and, and ultimately um, organisations missing out on, on a huge range of talent and contribution that, that some groups can can offer that that they're missing. So so yeah, I'd really love to raise more awareness and greater consciousness around decision makers um, for promotion, board appointments, um, things like that to to overall use leadership as a way to enhance gender equity across organizations. I want to work make work better for everybody and that's why I created my small business but in particular I feel that work can be better for working parents working mothers for instance and that's what inspired my study okay brilliant and let's I hope shine a light on some of this stuff and make some connections for people I'm sure some of the things you're going to share will resonate with some of the listeners and hopefully they will not feel alone or isolated and can can hear about what can be done to sort of move forward and maybe even they can contribute their their own examples of 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 ways they've moved forward and broken through some of these these barriers that you speak of you just mentioned the stimulus for your research so take me back to the beginning where where did it come from where was the moment you went yep that's the topic i want to research and actually let's clarify what that topic is so thinking thinking back Probably about um, five or six years ago, before the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. I was in the height of, of my senior leadership career with with all the things that I thought I'd dreamed of. You, you know, a great job title, a good a good salary. Um, I, I had a, um, a a great home life um, with with my family around me. Yet I was I was beginning to burn out. Mm. 
so on on the surface things were um were looking tickety-boo and and we as leaders have a great job of, of holding it together don't, don't don't we yeah but but i sort of started to see the signs that um were edging towards those sort of burn burnout signals what were they laura what, what yeah. were you what were you what were you noticing yeah, so I mean, these are deeply individual, aren't they? Of course so, they so are. I don't yeah. want to say that this would happen to any of us, but but for me, it was I think increasing anxiety going into um, significant meetings. Mm-hmm. Whereas in my younger days, I would have taken all this in my stride and been much more relaxed. Yeah. So what that indicated to me was that there were too many balls in the air simultaneously, and this is something that. I've uncovered within my study is is that generally as as senior women leaders we want to do great we want to do great work and therefore we put in 110 percent all of the time so so for example and, and I use this example when I'm doing workshops I say think about preparing a shopping list conversely think about going into the boardroom to deliver a, a big pitch for instance would you put in the same effort and impetus to both activities and the answer hopefully is is, is no because you know the shops are open pr- depending where you live pretty much 24 hours a day now so if you forget something you, you know it's not the end of the world nobody's going to starve and similarly if if you're preparing a, a big a big piece of work for for a board meeting you know you will have a lead time to it you will you will think about the things that you can control on the day, the technology or mm-hmm. all the research and the stats, for example. Mm-hmm. But all those things that you and I discuss now sound really logical, but but they were they were spiraling, you, you know, that that um that overthinking, that overworking was um was on overdrive. Yeah. So, so so I knew that I was trying to be all things to all people, and ultimately the only loser in that was myself whilst everybody else was achieving their goals. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Those things can be entirely debilitating and and seemingly come out of nowhere. And so when we think about your study, I mean, just just for uh, formality, what was the title of your study? So the title is, Is My Femininity Fit to Be Authentic? Senior Women's Accounts of Workplace Authenticity. Okay. And Do you want me to unpick that a bit? Yeah, because I'm I, because that's <laughs> wow, that's that's a big old topic topic there. So yeah, give us the sort of the background to what it was that you were trying to get to find out more about with that title. Yeah, so spurred on by by my own lived experience, I I wanted to hear and understand how other women had, had risen and how they felt that they could be themselves mm. wholly, partially, or not at all within within their workplace environment. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because the word authenticity is thrown around today almost willy-nilly, like, you know, you've got to be authentic. There's a question, and I had a guest on the podcast who asked this question previously. It's like, do we really want you to be your authentic self, or do we want you to fit into some other category i mean that's quite a big question 
Yeah, absolutely. And that was part of the question that I was attempting to answer mm. during during my study. So I'll take a sidestep in mm. I'll define authenticity as the definition that I used within my study. Yep. And this is about embodying one's values yep. whereby they're exhibited and shared transparently. Mm-hmm and undergoing transparent and open decision making as Mm. as well so it's not about sharing a photograph of your cat on linkedin for example which 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 some (laughs) might consider um authentic and of course you can do that there's nothing wrong with with it'll probably get you a load it'll probably get you a load more likes than a lot of my content that's for sure but hey what's it like (laughs) that's maybe that's where i'm going wrong andy um but it's as i say it's it's about those types of behaviors that but that therein lies the problem because of course we can only embody what we perceived to be our version of authentic mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having a chat with you here here today you know you can see my daughter's lego in in the background um <laughs> i'm being very open about about some of my work experience but you still might consider me partially or or inauthentic mm-hmm. um b- because it's a two-way street right right so so we, we can only hold that perception of ourselves um, and hold it lightly because the other person it could be a mismatch so ultimately that's that's one of the challenges and that's where some of the complexities and biases come around women in the workplace because you know following deregulation of, of the financial services industry in the 1970s that that's when flexible what we call knowledge work you know office um based work came about for women and th- and this is why we saw a, a, an upsurge of both genders in the workplace um but still from the hang-ups of that period if you describe an ideal leader often one might conjure up an image of an ideal leader and and that is most probably likely to be a white senior male so at the heart of this research I'm interested to understand what were the common problems? What were the things you saw most frequently faced by the women that you were interviewing? But I think it's easy to get caught up in the doom and gloom of all these things, right? I'm equally interested to understand what the lessons are that we can learn, what the path is for the future. What were some of the methods, strategies that people used to overcome some of these barriers? And, And how do we go on to sort of challenge the norm you've just described going forwards can you can you talk us through the research in in that sort of manner yeah absolutely i can so um i interviewed 10 senior women leaders some were in larger corporate organizations and some had their own small to medium sized sized company so that re- and that was important to me because i wanted to show cross section of um, experiences mm-hmm. and it was in their own words so so part of the the process is to carry out what we call semi-structured interviews mm-hmm. so I have um, a guide to to lead me with my interview questions but of course if 
other topics come come up, much like the podcast, right. I guess. Yeah. And yeah. um, if other topics come up, you know, it's important that that person has has space to explore them fully. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, some of the common problems were unsurprisingly discrimination based. So, for example, everyone in my study was anonymized and um, to, to obviously protect the confidentiality of, of respondents. So um, a person that uh, is named Caroline in my study, she was promised um, a, a promotion and she was on that trajectory. But um, unrelated, she, she announced that she was expecting her first child um, and going into that meeting where um, she anticipated that the outcome was sh- she would be given the scope and, and terms and everything of her next promotion, they said to her, you, you won't be receiving it right now. Instead, you will be receiving it when you come back from maternity leave. So with the conversation couched in those words, she was left with no in no un- uncertain terms that the two were extricably linked in, mm. in terms of her proposed pathway to promotion and to her becoming um, announcing that she was she'd become pregnant. So another example of discrimination was for example a senior female colleague who'd um, gone to negotiate a contract. So she had a, another person with her who was a, a junior male colleague but the person from the other organisation whom was negotiating firmly put put the woman in the role of taking the, the notes and bringing the tea to the meeting. Um, and, and she had to, um, of course, politely, because they were negotiating with this person, um, correct correct the, the gentleman in the, that, that she was a senior negotiator. Um, but it was assumed that because her colleague was was the male in the group that, that that in fact her role wasn't a part of a key to the negotiation process. She was on the periphery. So, so these are some some examples that I've encountered throughout all of the ten respondents that they have a similar theme. But equally, these were often experienced, particularly in the early career of of the individual, and when. So you talk about ways to to tackle this, ways to evolve. What I noticed was as as the women began to experiment and become more secure, more self-assured about the types of activities that they were doing, um, the types of feedback that they they were doing, um, their confidence grew. They felt less of an imposter. They felt more capable to challenge um, some of these behaviours that they were experiencing. But but sadly, why I included this uh, women who have created their own SMEs is a lot of women felt that they couldn't grow into this security of, of the role with with time, with maturity, and ultimately they parted ways with, with their corporate organisation. And created their own their own small and medium sized business where they felt they could be wholly themselves and experience greater well being, balance, and authenticity using that. 
So, yeah, I'm going to pause there because I know I've been talking a lot, Andy, and you might want to come back to me no, on some no. points there. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just listening. I mean, the, the sample size we're dealing with here is a, it's a small sample size, right? But I suspect the things that you've talked about in some quite in-depth qualitative research here will be seen resonating, echoed by women across the workplace right and look i don't want to again sound like it's all negative because i guess things are changing but that's easy for me to say as a white middle-aged male things are changing because we say things are changing what's actually happening out there it's still a very very long way to go that sample size do you think it represents the working community at large Laura, what, what's 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 your view on that? So you're you're absolutely right to point to point to the small sample size, and the reason it says women's accounts in the title mm. is is because I'm not generating statistical results. It's yeah. about a depth of understanding, and, and and as a psychologist, as a researcher, you go into a study with yeah, your 100%. eyes fully open, yeah, um, about that type of thing. So I'm gonna. That's why it's important to caveat my answer by by saying it, it's not intended to be a generalizable no, study. No. But but equally, anecdotal evidence, um, anecdotal um, stories are very important as practitioners. Hundred percent. Um, I'm I'm looking to you because because we're in a, a similar space, aren't, aren't we, Andy? So it's, it's the stories that resonate with people on whatever yeah. the topics we're talking yeah. about here or in our practices. Yeah. People being able to see themselves in a situation resonate with a a thing that has happened or a skill that is being explained or explored it's the stories and examples that help us as humans get to grips of what we're really talking about and and work out whether it's a thing for us and that we buy in on resonate or it has an impact on us or it doesn't there there is that connection piece which is where stories are so important which i guess in my limited understanding of what a business or occupational psychologist does i asked the question about the sample size because this is about in-depth understanding of the stories and impacts that your uh, group have been through which is not to sort of say oh we 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 surveyed a thousand women and 67 percent said this and 75 percent said said this this is about trying to get those transferable experiences understood and used to better understand the situation to better understand the challenges that people are facing and the impact of those challenges and how hopefully people have found ways to overcome them yeah that, thank you for those those reflections um and it's exactly right that the, the impact was something that i wanted to show on mm. on on my survey so i'll just come back to that momentarily if, if you let me andy mm. um so I can't say how commonplace statistically the uh, women's stories are across the UK, let's say. But but I can say that I hear common examples and, and similarities across women that, that I, for example, deliver executive coaching to mm. or I, I deliver um, other training and, and facilitation um, workshops to. And I find sharing stories um, really useful as a, as a facilitator. And, and and maybe you could tell me how, how you get on with, with, with sharing stories. Well, I, I, as I said, I think it's the thing that actually helps people put themselves in situations. You tell a good story, 
they can see themselves in it. They are either in it because they've experienced something or they're outside of it learning something, but in a transferable way. I think that's where stories really, really help. When you were listening to the women in your study, was there anything surprising that really came out from your research? Something, some or some things that you weren't expecting to hear? Because even we talk about bias, we would you would have gone in with an open mind, but we're humans. We can't help thinking about what we're going to hear about, right? Or making some assumptions. Anything surprising came out of your research? Yeah. So going going back to the stimulus for, for the for the research. In my early career, I was very unconscious to, to some of these bias. I was I was quite idealistic mm. as a younger career woman. As as you said in your introduction, I believed that promotion, job job recognition, things like that were done on on merit. But but equally, as you said, there's societal fundamental flaws that that mean merit is often a myth. So by that, I mean, if you have an archetypal view of of a leader in what I described earlier, then already there are groups that are at a disadvantage. Neurodivergent groups, for example, marginalised minority groups, for for example. So um, my study included um, one woman woman of colour that um, I'm calling Beatrice in my study. And um, Beatrice is a deeply committed professional senior um, solicitor. Yet when she went for job interviews in her earlier career, she was asked if she could speak English. Dear me. And you you know, you talk about your awareness of, of your lived experience and how you describe yourself. And, and, and equally, you know, I describe myself as a, a middle-aged white woman. And and that just knocked me, knocked me for six, that someone, regardless of origin, could be spoken to like that at, in a job interview. So that was deeply uncomfortable for me you know how could another white person talk like that to someone that had applied for a job um but but that's you know you talk about that nervousness for for your good selves um let's get let's get let's get happy with being uncomfortable because being uncomfortable um is a great starting place because it helps us explore what's going on yeah, and I think there's a lot of chat, and I think we just have to keep doing more uh, yeah. to move the whole DEI thing on by really taking action. And and not just when it happens to you, but when you don't see that fairness being delivered, you've got to talk about yeah. it. You've got to bring it up, hence trying to sort of get a little bit further under the skin today. So look, from the study, there's clear biases. There's the whole thing about being passed over promotion. There's this seeming authority gap that if you're female you're less you should have less authority than than a male there's the sort of i don't know whether that's conscious or unconscious bias but the sort of things you've just talked about with the the lawyer experience there's a whole bunch of conditioning and stuff behind all of this that is clearly got to be addressed continually as a society going forwards but when you think about the lessons that you've taken out of the study when you think about um, the norms you've got to challenge and 
when you sat back and looked at all of the data, what's what's next? What have you taken out of the study as the go forward challenge or actions that you think we all should be more conscious of, be more intentional with? Laura, what are they? Well, I'll couch this answer in firstly um, thinking about the impact because I've, I've alluded to some of the women change careers completely, starting their own small business. Mm-hmm. Some remained uncomfortable for that time, but ultimately came through with greater resilience and, and greater surety about what type of leader they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So, so these are not all as much as we'd want these experiences to disappear in their entirety. I think, let's be honest, I read one uh, figure, it's going to be 300 years until we have full gender equity across organisations. Um, but there was there was some remarkable examples of, of how women had come through these and therefore posed as role models, acted as role models for younger women coming through organizations so I talk about when when I coach women I say what did your 20 year old self need to see in a woman leader what would have made a difference for you and that is a huge outcome for for this study because one of my respondents who were calling Michelle said many of the women were out manning how outmanning the man I, I tied myself in knots about that but you know what I mean Andy <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's such a pity because they were attempting to fit into this archetypal image so so when I say what can people do um as male allies leaders can speak up if they're leaving early to collect their children from school for example and it isn't babysitting, <laughs> you know, when it's your own children, you, sure. you are taking dual responsibility. If 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 you notice that um, a senior woman leader in a meeting isn't getting the airtime that warrants her contribution, then male allies can can make space for that person in that meeting. This is this is about allyship and challenging behaviours. So, so for example, there's this phenomenon in in workplaces called um, office housework. So it's like fetch, uh, fetching the teas and coffees to meetings, organising retirement gifts, things okay. like this. Mm-hmm. And this work isn't particularly it, well. It's it's zero reward. Let's face it. This isn't work that's going to get you noticed for a promotion. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it's work that needs doing. And if, for example, a male leader were to notice that this is happening uh, being passed on to, to the females uh, regularly challenge that how can we share this more equitably across the organization for example so there's a hell of a hell of a lot that the organizations can do um, in their microcosms but but also you know if you're part of a trade body for example um, or a membership organization where um you can cascade some of these practices some of these messages um you know apply for awards for for example this is a way to influence the greater societal um societal matters there are some fantastic books if if men are interested um 
and and I would um, urge urge you to consider. You've mentioned one by Mary Ann Seagart, the authority gap, mm. and and the other one uh, is is um, is by Laura Bates, fix the system, not the women. And mm-hmm. um, so, uh, you, you know, get your algorithms working to suggest <laughs> these books for you, um, because there are some some remarkable um, titles out there to really help raise continued awareness of this. And when organisations are designing jobs, there's inherent bias often in job descriptions. You, you know, think about um, the word gravitas um, or influence or networking, you know, often these words um, have ingrained connotations that they may be more suited to one gender over another. Okay. So if you've got a limited pool of um, women uh, applying for an internal promotion, well, statistically already, they're at a disadvantage um, to to not be represented at senior level because they have, you know, they've not got a bite of the cherry anyway, because they're self-selecting themselves out of the recruitment process, because some of the unconscious language that's in the job advertisements. So um, start small, start, start manageable, but recognize the bigger role that we can play as leaders uh, within this overall problem, um, where women can show greater authenticity without fear of of their career being harmed as as a consequence so what's next with this research now laura is it is it done and now it's about practice and spreading the word or are you looking to kind of do some further work tell me so i've um, been invited to submit the research as a paper, a journal article, to the um, the British Psychological Society's dedicated journal to coaching practice. Oh well, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. I've, I've still got to um, get the the manuscript. You know, it's quite a heavy editorial mm. process. So. At some stage next year, it'll be cascaded to a greater audience. Um, I also um, have a number of slots in my diary to do free keynote speak uh, speaking slots because this, I'm so committed to this research, to cascading mm. it. So, so I do that at least three times um, a year. So I'm talking to a lot of women's staff networks but also ally and EDI networks um, to deliver my findings and help many organisations reflect on how they can change and, and be better equipped to deal with some of, with some of these challenges. Um, so uh, I'm also uh, devising a, a research-led uh, coaching programme for, for senior women executives to help them understand some of these phenomenon and help develop behaviours where they can um, perform well without losing a sense of themselves. I mean, that's so important, isn't it? So important. So lots to do with the research then. I mean, we, we've covered a quite a breadth of things today and I'd just like to sort of consolidate and summarise the things that you've talked about and the advice that you've given or the lessons that you've learned. So I have this little area of the show called Sticky Notes, Laura. It's lazy. It's just me getting you to summarise the whole of the episode, really. 
in a form that we can just fit on three little sticky notes. So thinking about everything that you've covered and learned through this this exercise, what would you leave the listeners with in terms of your three sticky notes, Laura? My sticky note number one is pressure to be yourself when you're establishing a senior career can be terrifying. So overcome this by gradually trying out more intuitive behaviours. We are evolving as humans, so don't give yourself a hard time if it takes a while to connect with your natural self. I'll do note number two, shall I? Yeah, please. (laughs) I'm on a roll, Andy. (laughs) This speaks to what I said earlier. Consider what you needed to see and hear as a younger version of yourself. Can you be that guide and that role model to women just starting out in their careers? Mm. And last, as male allies, can you challenge your own assumptions towards would-be and established women leaders? Do you promote psychological safety, for example? If there are any outdated systems that you notice that are stifling gender equity, can you help tackle those collectively with others? Yeah, I mean, three pretty serious sticky notes there. And particularly, you know, the the, the last one resonates with me 100% in terms of taking some responsibility for actions when you see this stuff and not talking about it in the corridor afterwards, but attacking it at the source and getting on with it. Laura, this is such a massive topic. And there's so many avenues we can go down. It's really been very interesting to hear somebody who's had some in-depth conversations with women who have been brave enough, I guess, to share their stories and take some learnings from that. So thank you very much for that. I I really appreciate you coming on. It's it's an absolute pleasure. I've loved this chance. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to showcase the the important research, which, uh, as you alluded to in the introduction, will will rage on to to challenge some of these problems. Brilliant. And Laura, if anybody wants to find out a bit more, where where can they go? Where, what can where can they find stuff? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as psychologist Laura, or my website is thecontentedworkplace.co. Brilliant. Well, we'll we'll whack all of that in the show notes, and and hopefully people can find out a bit more information and a bit more detail uh, following today's conversation. Laura, thanks so much, and you take care. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Okay, everyone. That was Laura Howard. And like we've just said, if you'd like to find out a bit more about her or any of the topics that we've talked about today, please go ahead and check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.